Hello, thank you for listening to the Avenue GCLC podcast. My name is Christopher Stevens, and I'm the minister at the Avenue G Church of Christ, where we are people of more. We hope that you enjoy and have enjoyed listening to this podcast, where you can find sermons, congregational singing, and talk shows with myself and youth minister Joshua Williams. We pray that the content is a blessing to you, and we hope that everyone listening can join us in person for worship and Bible class. We are located at 601 West Avenue G, Temple, Texas, 76504. And don't forget to visit us online at avegcoc.org. From the people of Moore to you, thank you and God bless. marvelous things in your life. We serve a God that created everything out of nothing. And I believe that that's a marvelous thing. That's something to marvel at and wonder. How is it that God has accomplished the things that he's accomplished? Man still doesn't have an answer. Some millions of years later of how God has created everything from nothing. We marvel at our God as he creates something from nothing. How he took the nothingness and created a, a world, how he took dirt and created humankind, how he took your life as a sinner and created a saint, a holy one, a called out person from God. And I think that that's something to be thankful for, and I think that that's something to marvel at, and I think that that's something that is wonderful. And he continues to create something out of nothing in all of our lives, and that's something to be thankful for. On this morning, we start our, our sermon series on biblical leadership. Uh, I told you that I was throwing soft, soft, uh, soft throws to you during the summertime. We had, we had some good times during the summertime, but every now and then, every now and then it's called for for us as a church. Every now and then it's called for us for as a church. Sometimes we get beside ourselves and sometimes we don't want to grow and sometimes we are disobedient to the Father, and sometimes God has to come and spank us on our hind parts. And on this morning, God is going to spank this entire congregation on its hind parts because we're still lacking in some areas. But thank God that he can do a lot with a little, and he's done so at this congregation thus far. Amen? This morning, the title of the lesson is, He Smells Like Sheep. He Smells Like Sheep. Uh, this morning would be a good time for you to take notes as it is incumbent upon you as members of the church to make sure that you know what leadership should look like. Amen. It is not normal for a congregation to not have biblical leadership. Amen. That's not what God intended. How many of us got the article this morning, read it this morning? Yeah. Check out that article. I encourage everyone to check out that article. If you have a bulletin, if you take a look at the article in the bulletin, it tells you how to read the whole thing. It's an article that is 
something of motivation for all of us, I would think so. I think it was a pretty good read. I had somebody tell me it was too long. I ain't going to say who. <laughs> I want to open your hearts this morning to the thought of a new home, new home smell. We have a culture in which we like to watch a thing called reality TV. And that's where we watch people live. All right? We like to watch other people on television live their lives while we live our lives. And we're watching people living their lives. And there's a very popular genre of reality TV shows that are about home improvement. Amen. And when you look at these home improvement shows, you sometimes have people, you, you'll have a guy who, who bends paper clips for a living and he has a budget of $4 million uh, to build a house. You ever notice that, how these people have these amazing budgets to re renew and renovate their homes and, and they work at Burger King, all right? But you look at these, these home repair shows, uh, especially that of, uh, of Chip and Joe and Waco, uh, Fixer Upper, and whenever they fix somebody's home up, they give them the, the beginning image of what the house looked like and they take them there and they show them the house, and then they call somebody, and they call them forward, and Chip and Joe cover up the house with this big old sign, showing them a picture of what the house looked like. And then they say, here's your house, and then they go to commercial, right? And whenever they come back from commercial, this image of the old house is still up, and then they pull the image apart, and they see an image of their new home. And so all of their money... All of the investment, all the time that was spent on that home is shown through the work that they did. But what if you had spent money, the costs were paid, and then they pulled back the signs and then your home looked like this right here? And they say, this is your new house. This is what you're going to be living in. How would you feel about that? You, you feel pretty cheated, right? Because it's missing some tiles. It has a spot where windows should go, but there is no glass. And so what happens is if you choose to live in this home, when it rains, you might get a little bit wet. And when the wind blows dust around your yard, it's going to come through those windows. And so then if you live in this house that is not completed and not reached its full potential, you run the risk of being harmed by outside influences. It's not enough to have a foundation. And I want you to know that the church has a solid foundation. I think that everybody under the sound of my voice this morning agrees that the solid foundation has been laid and Jesus is the Christ, is the Son of God. And the foundation is laid in the apostles and the prophets and the teachers and the preachers that we know of. They make up these walls. But I want you to understand, until the church is mature and having biblical leadership, we look just like this house. And we're vulnerable to outside influences. And if we don't fix it, the outside influences will tear down this body that Christ died for. And so I want to look at what it is that God has to say about biblical leadership. And this morning we start by examining the office of of elders or pastors or presbyters, Episcopal, they all mean the same thing and they all are the same office. I want to take a look at it this morning. So I want you 
call you to look at two passages this morning. It's going to be tough, but I need you to, to, to roll with me this morning. I want you to put a note or a bookmark. If you have a bookmark in your Bible, put it at Titus 1. And I want you to put another bookmark or a piece of paper at 1 Timothy chapter 3. Titus chapter 1, put a bookmark there. And I want you to put a bu- another bookmark at 1 Timothy 3. And what I want you to do, I want you to make sure that you're taking great notes. I want you to make sure that you come back on this evening to your respective home groups because it's going to continue. I I wasn't able to fit everything that I wanted to into this lesson. So it's going to continue on this evening. Your care group leaders is going to continue to show you why it is that the elders should smell like sheep. We're going to start off by reading both texts in this entirety. We'll start off with Titus chapter 1. We'll read verses 5 through 9. If you're taking notes, that's the text. Titus 1, 5 through 9. And then we'll read in this entirety 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. And the Bible reads in Titus chapter 1, verse 5, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking And appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children not accused of dissipation or insubordination, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Turn your Bibles over to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 1 through 7 in this passage. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, now this is the same thing, bishop, elder, pastor, all the same office, just by a different name. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless. The husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. I want you to know a couple of things before we get started with this sermon. These two books that are written are written from the same person. That's the first thing. And that person that wrote this book is none other than Paul, who writes the majority of the New Testament. And Paul writes these letters to Timothy and Titus. And Timothy and Titus are both people who work with Paul in the planting of churches. 
he writes these letters as a mentor, as someone who is helping fellow brothers, younger brothers, to make sure that congregations are growing and maturing. These books and these letters that he writes to Titus and Timothy are written in the same period. They're around AD 60 when they're written. That's going to be important for us later on as we discuss some things. Both of these passages that we've just read, they lay out what we would call the qualifications of an elder. But I want you to think of it more as characteristics because this is not a job that you work on. This is service to God's people. Amen? What we have learned in the past of these positions, these biblical leadership positions, is really that nobody qualifies for them. And I beg to differ. Because God wouldn't set a standard that man could not meet. And it does not make sense for a congregation, a church, to be 80 years old and not have elders and deacons and a minister. Amen? Now, as I mentioned before, this book was written about A.D. 60. We all know that the day of Pentecost happened around A.D. 33. And here we have it to where Paul is 30-something years later, still building up churches. And these churches, some of these churches already have elders established in them. As a matter of fact, when we look at Acts chapter 6, we see that not too long after the day of Pentecost, they already had deacons established in the church. Let's go to Titus. Let's start at verse number 5. Here Paul starts off by speaking to Titus, and he says, what? For this reason. He says, for this reason. I left you in Crete. I left you in Crete. Now, if you have your actual Bibles on there, you can, you can peek back over to Acts chapter 2, because Crete was one of the uh, nations that was there on the day of Pentecost. And so as you can see, 30, 30 years, 30 plus years after the day of Pentecost, and the gospel is still spreading. The gospel is still going strong. And just think about this for a moment. As I'm doing my studying, I look back and I remember that the epistles of Paul are written before the gospels were even written, which blows my mind as to how they could continue to spread the gospel and build up churches, and they didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And so that's, that's even more so incumbent upon us to say, even though I might not know book, chapter, and verse, these people built churches around the known world without the gospel just by sharing their experiences and when they came into contact with Christ. So what's our excuse, church? These things, these writings and their influence lasted for thousands of years, and they weren't quote, quoting book, chapter, and verse. They were just living righteously and talking about how they came into contact with Jesus Christ. That's not a part of the lesson, though. He says, for this reason, I left you in Crete. And he says, that you should set in order. In order. Now, I want you to understand, when you look at this, and he says, to set in order, this word that he uses in the original language is a medical term. When somebody breaks their arm and you set their arm in place, you're fixing something that is not straight. Something that is crooked. And Paul says, I know that there are Christians established here. I know that you are there preaching the word to these Christians. And I know that you meet on the Lord's day and you have communion and you, you study God's word. But there is something that still needs to be set in place. 
You're not yet complete, church. And Paul says, Titus, I need for you to set things in order in Crete. The things that are lacking. He says there is something that is lacking in Crete and something more that you must do before you become a mature church. Right now, your roof is missing and you don't have a window. And Titus says to him, there are things that are lacking. He says, I want you to do something. What does he say? And upon elders. He speaks to the minister at this church. He said, I want you to appoint elders. In every syndic. Paul's right there. I want you to appoint elders, Paul says. I need you to appoint elders. And he speaks these words to you. To Titus, and he says, I need you to appoint them not one over a whole region, but he says, What? In every church, as I commanded you. In every what? City. <laughs> okay. He says, I need for you to appoint elders in every city. There was there were home churches at this point in time, and people were meeting in homes to worship God. And he said, at each one of these places, I need for there to be elders. This is a command, not a, not a suggestion. Paul is inspired by who? God. I need for some Christians to wake up on this morning. Paul is inspired by who? And so this word that he speaks in this epistle to Titus is coming from God. And God says that the church needs to have elders. And if you don't have elders, you are lacking. And you need to be set straight. Verse number six, Paul continues on talking to Titus and he says, If a man is blameless. So he says, here are some things that you are to look for and these men are to, who are to be elders. I want them to have certain characteristics. Now I want you to understand that if you look at the characteristics that are named in both Titus and 1 Timothy, an elder is nothing more than a Christian husband and father who is faithful. That, that's all that it is. This isn't a superman. This is a Christian husband and father who is faithful. And the question that we have to ask ourselves as men, if we are Christian husband, fathers, why not? Why not me? Why not me? And yes, 1 Timothy does mention a man must have a desire. But if you have a desire and you want to be involved with business meetings and you want to be involved with making decisions at the church and you want to be involved with which way the church is going, but you don't want the responsibility of being an elder. Why not? Paul says, I want you to look for certain things in men. I, I, I want you to look for a man who is blameless. He says, I want you to look for a man who is blameless. Now, this isn't to say that this man is perfect, but what this word means is, is that it pertains to one who cannot be accused of anything wrong presently. Now, some of us would like to say, I look at this man and I remember he used to be a pimp on 15th Street 10 years ago, but 10 years ago ain't today. Can a man be looked at today and be considered blameless? Nobody can say anything wrong about this person. 
Not to say that he's perfect, but nobody can say his life ain't together. Because you got to understand, if a man is going to be a shepherd, he has to be trustworthy towards the sheep. Pertaining to one who cannot be accused of anything wrong. And then he continues on. Paul says, I want you to also, in verse number six, he says, not only look for a man who is blameless. And this is important. This blameless thing is important because the elder has the ability to either make the church look good or the church look bad. And what you'll see is, is in Titus, he sandwiches the qualifications of the elder in between that word blameless. Blameless is the bread and then the qualifications sit in between that thing. I want you to see this. So being blameless and having a good reputation both inside and outside of the church is important for an elder. Amen. Amen. He said if a man is blameless and then he pauses and says this right here. The husband of one wife. The husband of one wife. Now we have taken notice of this in recent years and we have said, okay, I remember that such and such brothers Wife died, and so he can't be an elder because he married again, and so he has two wives. And I remember that such and such brother, husband, wife cheated on him, and he divorced her, and so he got another wife, and so he can't be an elder because he has more than one wife. That is not what Paul is saying here. That's not what Paul is saying here. Literally, in the original language, this text reads, a one-woman man. Literally, a one-woman man. Do you know why? Because there were people who were existing in that time who had more than one wife. Both Titus and Timothy were both Gentiles. And so as they existed in their society, it wasn't nothing for a man to have a wife on one arm and a wife on another arm. And maybe a side chick, or what they call concubines, behind him. That was a side chick of those days. A one-woman man. Because I say this also because God has permitted for those who are the innocent parties in adultery to be remarried. Did you know that? Jesus himself talked about it. Turn your Bibles real quick. Just hold that slide there. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19. We'll look at verses 3 through 9. Matthew chapter 19. We'll look at verses 3 through 9. Whoever brother gets there first, go ahead and read that. The Pharisees also came to him, mm -hmm. testing him and saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? So they come to Jesus and say, is it okay for us to divorce our wife for whatever we want to do? And Jesus responds and says what? Read through nine, real quick. And he answered and said to them, uh -huh. have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? Uh -huh. And said, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother All right. and be joined to his wife. Okay. And the two shall become one flesh. Okay. So then they are no longer two but one flesh. All right. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man let not man separate. Now Jesus says, For what God has put together, let nobody separate. And he's talking about the institute of marriage in this context. Then he says, What? Keep reading. Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? Keep reading. He said to them, 
Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. Okay. But from the beginning. He says, but from the beginning. It was not so. It was not so. Keep reading. And I say to you, uh-huh. who ever divorces his wife. Whoever divorces his wife. Except for sexual immorality. And that is adultery. Sexual immorality is adultery. If you divorce your wife or your husband for any other reason. But for adultery. And marries another. Uh-huh. Commits adultery. Then you also, when you leave that person, you commit adultery too. And well, whoever- she, she, she just... She couldn't keep up with my work schedule, so I had to cut her loose. He couldn't keep his belly outside his pants, so I cut him loose. That's not proper grounds for divorce, right? And if you do that and you go on to somebody else, then you commit adultery with somebody else, right? Let's also turn our Bibles to 1 Corinthians 7.39. Now, Jesus says that this is the only reason that you are able to, to... be divorced in this situation. Then over in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, when we look at Paul talking about someone having a spouse who has passed away, which also we know that that also qualifies if, if someone is the innocent party in divorce, they don't longer are, are bound to that covenant. Paul says this about the person who is single and innocent. A wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives. A wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives. But if her husband dies. But if her husband dies. She is at liberty to be married to whom she wishes. He said, you are at liberty. You are free to marry whoever you want to marry. But it doesn't end there. He says. Only in the Lord. But they must be only in the Lord. They have to be Christians. If you choose to remarry after you've been married and you have a biblically sound reason for divorce, you must remarry someone who is a Christian. Now, bring it back to this text. Why would God say that it's okay for you to be remarried and then disqualify you from being a leader in the church at the same time? Remarriage According to the will of God in biblical context, being remarried does not make you a polygamist. And that's the way that this verse has been treated in the past. And men have, who have been qualified to be leaders have been told for too long that they can't serve in leadership because they were remarried. And that is not God's truth. You are not a polygamist if you are remarried. If the covenant is resolved according to the will of God, that is not a second marriage. Amen. You can can come talk to me after if you disagree. We continue on with verse number six. It says that this man must be blameless, the husband of one wife. Having faithful children. And then this verse says, having faithful children. Now, I want you to look at this because this is another thing where we get confused at. And we look at this verse for elders and it says having faithful children. And some of our Bibles even read having children who are Christians. And this is not what it's talking about. Now, I want to show you. Go over to turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy. The text where I told you to put your bookmark at. Turn your Bible over there. 1 Timothy 3. It says, everybody there? Because I need for you to see this. 
This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, which is another name for elder, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless. Sounds the same as Titus, right? The husband of one wife sounds the same as Titus. Temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to much wine, or not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. Look at verse number four right here. Brother Rowe, read verse number four. Verse number four. One. Oh, the, right there. Go not, not given to wine, uh -huh. not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, mm -hmm. not quarrelsome, not covetous. One who, yeah. One who rules his own house well, uh -huh. having his children in submission. It says, one who rules his house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. Go on to the next verse right there. For if a man uh -huh. does not know uh -huh. how to rule his own house, okay. how will he take care of the church of God? Why is it that Paul wrote the book of 1 Timothy, this epistle, pastoral epistle to Timothy, at the same time, around the same time that he wrote it to Titus, and he did not tell Timothy that the children needed to be believers or faithful? Why is that? Why would, would he give him Better standards in Titus, with Titus in Crete, than he would to Timothy? Would he give him a different standard to choose his elders by? It's not saying that children need to be Christians. It's not what it's saying. The Greek word that's found there in Titus, go back to Titus. The Greek word that's found there when it talks about children being pista, right? Pi, Iota, Sigma, Alpha. Alpha, right? You look at this word, and it's talking about children being faithful. Children being faithful. Go back to Titus. Children being faithful. Children being faithful, because this is important. Verse number six in Titus one: If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife having faithful children, not accused of dissipation. Now, what this means here? is that the children are faithful to the authority that exists within their household. Children are faithful to the authority that exists in the household because as you can see in both texts that talk about the qualifications for elders and the characteristics for elders, what we see is, is that it states that a man needs to have his house organized biblically. And it says that if a man can't organize his house biblically and see after his own house biblically, how is he going to look after God's own house? And this is not speaking about having all children be Christians. That's not what it's talking about. Because I want you to know that if you choose to be in leadership in the church, everybody ain't always going to listen to you. You can talk until your face turns blue. And everybody still ain't going to listen to everything you have to say. But if you're a leader and you have your house in order and you have children, you learn how to deal with different personalities in the house. Right. And you learn how I can talk to this one this way and get an effect out of them. And I can talk to this one in this manner and get this effect out of them. So it's talking about somebody who knows how to manage people well. And so whenever he speaks about the children here in verse number six, 
he goes on to say that their children must be faithful. Now, this would be easier to lean towards them being Christians if that didn't exist, but it's not talking about that. He continues on in verse number six of Titus 1 to say what? If a man uh-huh. is blameless, uh-huh. the husband of one wife, uh-huh. having faithful children, okay. not accused of Dissipation, dissipation or insubordination. Now, I want you to understand that he continues this thought. There's no comma there. There's no break in his thought. He's saying that if the children are faithful to the authority and not accused of dissipation and insubordination, then that means that this man has his house in order. Now, I need you to understand that if you're an elder and you have children or you have a desire to be an elder one day, you need to make sure that your children are not guilty of dissipation or insubordination. And what that means is dissipation means behavior which shows a lack of concern or thought for the consequences of action. If you have children who like to cut up and don't care about the consequences, your children are guilty of dissipation. That's not to say that your children are perfect. That's not to say that your children won't make mistakes because I can tell you right now, because I've been a kid and I have kids, kids are sometimes stupid. Yeah, because I've been there, and I have children that make stupid decisions. But if you put God in them, they will learn to feel remorse for the bad things that they do. And this is saying that if you have kids who enjoy doing wrong, have a good time doing wrong, and don't feel remorse, you need to fix your situation, or you won't be able to serve as an elder in God's church. And so, again, dissipation is behavior which shows a lack of concern or thought for the consequences of action. And then rebellious. This right here, to be rebellious is to be rebelliously disobedient. That's those kids who they know that their parents told them not to do something. And they said, I don't care. And I dare you to do something about it. All right. If you got kids like that, you need to fix that. It's not funny. It's not cute. Having a dentist a menace is not cute or funny. And if you did not know, your children can both hurt you in becoming an elder, and in the process, they hurt the church. Yeah. Yeah, your children can hurt you becoming an elder, and it can hurt the church, because the church needs elders. And if you don't do your responsibility by setting your children straight, and your children in order then the church suffers and you're going to suffer too. I know that we live in a culture to where we put up belts, we put up switches. But something needs to be done because time out ain't handling the dentist the menace no more. If you spare the rod, you spoil the child. And a lot of our kids are stinking. We need to understand also, if we exist in homes to where daddy says one thing and mama says the other, that causes your children to become this way. Well, I know that I can't do this because daddy said no, but mama said something different. And mama yells at daddy, and it makes him less of a man, which leads to a whole lot of other things. Because there's been studies done that whenever, whenever little boys see their their mother figures as being the dominant role in the house, 
they value that as something to live towards. And the, the little boys go from this to this. And they look at that. I, I'm being serious. There's studies that have been done where they see this. This is the dominant role. This is how I need to be. And we need to make sure that we're not even ruling our house, but God is ruling our house. Because right now we got kids raising adults. We have kids raising adults. And the kids are being raised by the internet. Not a bad thing, but the parent needs to lead them and the parent needs to be led by God. It says also, verse number six, continue reading that. You read the read that ending again. Did you read that? Yeah, we read insubordination. So we look at this and we go on to verse number seven. It says also, for a bishop must be blameless. As a steward of God. Now, he chooses to use a different word in describing the office of an elder. He says a bishop, which points to somebody being a servant and a leader. Take that note. He uses two terms to talk about an elder in this text. And he says that an elder is someone who is a servant and a leader. And he's going to go into explaining what that looks like. Because just because somebody is an elder, it does not mean that he is CEO of the church. And we have that that exists in a lot of churches to where we have people that are ordained as elders just because their finances look good. And just because they know how to take care of the church's money. And that is not a characteristic or a qualification for being an elder in God's church. There is no language in either one of these texts that say that an elder is an authority figure over the whole church. And Paul intentionally uses a word to say that the elder is a leader and a servant. That's what this word means. I hope y'all wrote that down so y'all can remember. For a bishop, he says, must be blameless. There goes that other end of that sandwich. He says, as a what? Steward of God. As a steward of God. Now, I need you to understand what a steward is. A steward is somebody that takes care of something that ain't his. And so that means this is not the church of the elders. This is the church of Christ. And elders don't own the church. But they are shepherding over God's flock. It says that a shepherd of God must be a, a steward. He must handle things responsibly a steward is given something that doesn't belong to them and given the responsibility of taking care of it and that's why a lot of brothers don't want to be leadership because they don't want the responsibility of taking care of something that don't belong to them i have to tell you don't don't give my kids your phone because that's your stuff and if they break it i'm not paying for it I'm not. In the same way, God has given charge for elders to shepherd God's flock. And he's saying, if you break this thing, you're responsible for it. If the church isn't fed, if the church isn't guided, you're responsible for it. Understand that. If you're giving the responsibility of being an elder... And it's in your charge and you are stewarding God's church. 
Understand that you're responsible for how the direction of the church goes. That's on you. On the day of judgment, God is going to ask how well you've done in shepherding the flock. In addition to what you've lived or the way you've lived. It is a great responsibility. A great responsibility. One that is not to be taken lightly. For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God and says what? Not self-willed. Not self-willed. That means he's not arrogant. He's not stubborn. He doesn't always expect to get his way. The elder is somebody who can live peaceably with other people. And that is something that needs to exist in a man before he is an elder. Because if you put somebody in there who insists on getting his own way all the time, he is not going to be a servant or a leader. He's going to be a dictator. Do this my way or else. It also goes on to say that he's not self-willed, but it also says that he's not quick-tempered. Not quick-tempered. An elder or a man who is not quick-tempered is, is one who isn't going to have the characteristics. Y'all see those folks. It's not us. It's the other people. When we drive on the highways and they get that road rage and they're about to punch through the glass to get to you, elders don't act like that. Elders don't act like that. Elders don't attack their children with belts and switches before finding out what really happened. A quick-tempered man, they think their child is doing wrong, and they beat the mess out of them before they find out what actually happened. Not quick-tempered. Not quick-tempered at all. A temper is a precious thing, and you need to hold on to it and not lose it. Did y'all catch that? And then it says... Not given to wine. Not given to wine. And what this means is he's not addicted to alcohol. You can't have a man be addicted to alcohol, and I want to put this out to you, because they didn't have crack, they didn't have opioids in this time. And I don't want you to think that, okay, just because I don't drink wine and I get high off of my prescription medicine, I can be an elder. No, you need to be in your right state of mind in order to shepherd God's people. And we have an epidemic of an opioid crisis. We got folks that like to be taken out of their right mind with a little bit of green every now and then. Yeah, it, it relaxes you, yes. But are you truly in your right mind? I know y'all haven't tried it, but I've read things about that. All right? It says someone... Not violent. Not violent or, or, or bully or pugnacious. This is somebody who isn't quarrelsome or combative. I've sat in rooms to where we've had church meetings and you see brothers in there beating on the tables because they ain't getting what they want to get. Hitting on walls. I've witnessed this in person. This wasn't one of those reality shows. An elder doesn't act like that. What else does it say there? Not greedy for money. Not greedy for money. And I learned something as I studied this this week. Not greedy for money. And what it's saying there is not greedy for gain. This is somebody who is shamefully greedy for material gain or profit. Avaricious is a word that he used there. And what that means is to be excessively acquisitive, especially in seeking to hoard riches. This person doesn't care about nothing but getting stuff. Nothing but getting money. 
wants to grind all the time, and that's all they care about. A man who is working 100 hours a week probably should not be a shepherd. Okay? Amen? Verse number 8. Not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable. Hospitable. He says that a man who wants to be an elder must be hospitable. Now, I want you to understand, when I read this word, I was like, I never saw that before. What this word looks like in original language, he is a lover of strangers. Stranger lover. He doesn't know a stranger. He doesn't know a stranger. When he meets people, he can show the same love that he shows for his wife to that stranger. That's what it's talking about there. It doesn't mean that, oh, I invite you to my home so I'm hospitable. No. And some of y'all ain't seen the inside of most people's houses. And brothers, you need to start. That is part of it. I don't want them coming in my house, dirtying up my rug. It's talking about showing love to people that they don't know. Does a man have the ability to love people that they don't know? Because that's something that's powerful. It's easy to love people that you know and people who are similar to you. But can you love people who are not like you? That's what this word means here. It says hospitable. And then a verse, uh, it says also, what else after that? A lover. It's on the screen there. A lover of what is good. A lover of what is good. A lover of what is good. And what that means here is that this person loves good outcomes. He wants to see good happen all the time. He doesn't wish evil on people just because he don't agree with them. He could be a, a Republican and be okay with a Democrat winning the presidential election. He could be a Democrat and be okay with a Republican winning the election. That's good for him. That's hard. No way man's there. He wants to see the good for everybody. He wants to be involved with good things. He wants to be involved with good music, good TV shows. He's not jealous of the good that's happening to the people next door. Amen? A lover of what is good, loving good outcomes and for all people. It also says that he is what? Sober-minded. Sober-minded. That means he is a master of himself. He has control over himself. Ecclesiastes 7.9 says, Do not be quick to anger, for anger lodges in the bosom of fools. Somebody who can't control their anger is foolish. An elder needs to be a master of himself. It says also that he needs to be what? Just. Just. He needs to be fair. Understand that. He needs to be fair. He can't be involved with favoritism. Amen? Amen? I'm telling you what to look for, church. He needs to not be involved with favoritism. What else does it say? He needs to be what? Holy. Holy. This is speaking about his moral qualities. Does he know right from wrong? Because there's a lot of elders and there's a lot of people who are brothers who will talk to you about a lot of things and you listen to them and say, that ain't quite right. That's not somebody to put to shepherd over the flock. Is he just? What else? Self-control. Does he have self-control? Does he have control of his emotion, his impulses, his desires? Does he have control over these things? 
Verse number nine. Holding fast the faithful word. And it says also that an elder has to hold fast to the faithful word. What? As he has been taught. He can't let go of the gospel. An elder has to say, I don't care how society is changing on the outside. I'm not going to let the gospel change for God's people. I heard a story just yesterday. A lady was having a conversation with me about why she left her church. And I won't say the church's name. But she says she's in the church and they were talking to the children, the youth of the church. And they told these youth, they said, I know that some parts of the Bible bother you. And I know that there are some things that you don't agree with in the Bible. There's some things that aren't taken to be exactly from God. And they said, I want you to just hold on to the parts that you like and live by those things. It's a true story. Hold on to those things that you like and everything else. Don't worry about it. And the mother went to the youth pastor after, the youth leader after, and she said, what you taught was dangerous. And she, she says that he told her, we're doing this because a lot of the millennials and the young people are leaving the church and it helps us to keep them here by ignoring certain parts of the Bible. True story. Men who want to be elders have to hold on to God's word. Even when it may hurt somebody's feelings. Even when it may make somebody who is your friend angry, God's word is God's word and we can't let go. I'm not picking. I'm just saying we got to hold on to it. An elder has to be somebody that says, okay, I don't care what people say about me. I don't care what my wife told me not to say about the passage this morning. I got to tell it like it is. I have to tell the truth. I have to hold on to this because if I don't, there's an open window where the church could be harmed. And I'm responsible for that. It says that he has to hold on to this thing. Why? That he may be able uh -huh. by sound doctrine. It says that you have to hold on to God's word so that you may be able by sound doctrine. And this word means by healthy doctrine, doctrine that helps the church grow. What? Both to exhort, both to exhort and convict those who contradict and convict those who contradict. It says the elder has to hold on to the word of God so that he can exhort and convict. And this word exhort here means to cause someone to be encouraged or consoled either by verbal or nonverbal means. If someone is an elder, listen, you have the responsibility to speak up when you see the church doing wrong and not. To where you're putting somebody down, but say, I need to come and encourage you because obviously something's going wrong in your life. It's not a position to where you're always beating people over the head with the Bible, but you're trying to find a way to build somebody up so they can grow and so that the church can grow. That's why we hold on to God's word. But it says also that sometimes we have to, as elders, right? Elders, you have to convict. And what that word means is to admonish. Admonish to the state that something has been done wrong. Understand that the job of an elder sometimes requires you to tell somebody while they're in the wrong that they are wrong. And I want you to understand, church, that if that is the case, that means that the church has to be willing to listen.
You can't tell me what to do. You ain't paying my bills. Ain't that how we talk sometimes? You don't know what I've been through. We got a lot of those excuses. But if we are to have leadership, we need to have good fellowship. Amen. An elder must exhort and convict. And as I look at this text, there's some differences between the uh, qualifications, but one that's mentioned in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 1, stands out to me above all else. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 1. What does it say there? This is a faithful saying. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires a position of a bishop. If a man desires a position of a bishop. Now, I want you to know. I need you to understand this because I didn't mention this earlier. But this man in the original language is not an ambiguous statement. There are no women elders. This man here means man. Okay. That's what that means. But it says here, if a man desires, if a man desires, a man must have a desire, a longing, a wanting to serve God's church in order to be an elder. Have to have a desire if he wants to serve in that position. And the Bible says that it's a good work. But the question that we got to ask ourselves is do we have a desire? Do we have a desire? Or we, do we just want to continue to play church? Do we want to just continue to play church? Does the church have a desire for leadership? Or do we just want to be a congregation that is halfway done? Yeah. Do we have a desire to be elders? Do we have a desire for elders? There were a lot of people who came and left because they had more of a desire for a building than they did for leadership or than they did for a preacher. This building, preachers, whatever, that's not the main desire. We ought to be seeking to be a mature church. That ought to be our goal because if we are mature in this church, then we can do more for the world outside of here. And if you fit these characteristics, you got to ask yourself, why don't I have the desire? And it's not for everybody. But if you are able to do the things that are described by Paul here, why not? You see, what happens is, is that we have a huge desire to want to run and do things, but we don't want to be responsible. That's the truth of the matter. I want to be able to have a voice, but if things go wrong, I don't want to be seen. It's too much pressure truth of the matter. We got to stop that. And church, we got to stop thinking that men have to be perfect because they ain't going to be perfect. And their wives ain't going to be perfect. And their children ain't going to be perfect. And I know that's a lot of ain'ts. But it is what it is. It's not perfection that God is looking for. He's looking for servant leaders who are faithful. An elder smells like sheep. An elder is someone who meets these characteristics and then he gets to work with serving and leading God's people along with other biblical leaders, deacons, 
and ministers of the gospel. It's teamwork. It's not the legislative branch and executive. No, it's teamwork. Different offices, same goal. Amen? I want us to understand that we serve a God who is the good shepherd. As we read in Psalm 23 this morning, God will lead us to places to where we can actually flourish, to where we will find peace, to where we will, we will drink of waters that will cause us to never thirst again. He sent Jesus down here as a good shepherd, and Jesus said, if you follow me, there's an eternity with me and my Father waiting for you. But there are some things that we must do in following Jesus. The first thing that we must do is we must hear the word of God. The word of God is this, the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection, the fact that Jesus came from the majesty of heaven and died for our sins, felt feeling everything that we felt. Do you believe that message? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Are you willing to repent of your sins and say, I don't want to live like I've been living. I want to change my mind about how I'm living so that I can change my actions. Are you willing to say that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Openly, publicly confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Not being ashamed to tell those that you work with and those that you go to school with that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Are you willing to be baptized for the remission of your sins? This baptism washes away all sins. This baptism is the only way for a man to serve as a leader in God's church. You have to be a Christian. You cannot be a novice, as mentioned in uh, the text of 1 Timothy. You can't be a new convert because it may puff up your head too much. If you want to respond to the call of the gospel, if you're in need of prayer, I invite you to do so as we sing the song of invitation. My God is awesome, he can move mountains, keep me in the valley, and hide me from the rain. If you need prayers, come forth. My God is awesome, if you need to be baptized on this morning, just come forth.